Welcome to the Self-Talk Radio Show. Mind-changing radio. Welcome to Self-Talk Radio Show. My name is Sarah Spencer, and my guest is Wendy Friesen. She is an internationally renowned hypnotist, and I am so pleased and honored to have you on the show. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to share some really cool information. Yeah, I um I've been following you for a long time. When did you start in hypnosis and and what was that journey about? Well, it was kind of by accident really because I um I was just really broke and I didn't have anything like in the hopper for how I was going to support myself and my two kids and I was a single mom and stuff and I just saw a little ad in the newspaper and it was in California and it was for a hypnotherapy course and it was like nine months long, and so I went and um, and learned hypnotherapy, and I was so excited. Even just the first day, with the most basic information, it was like, oh, this is so exciting because there's so many things you can do with it. You know, it just, it has so many types of potential uses. So that's where it started. I'm very interested in your focus on alcoholism and drug uh, rehabilitation through hypnosis. What sent you on that track? Well, you know, I, I've been doing this for 20 years, and most hypnotherapists, they get pretty good after two or three years, and you continue to have more and more training, but there wasn't anyone who was helping with drug or alcohol addiction, yet so many of us get clients that come in that say, you know, I need to stop doing crack, or I need to stop drinking, or, I, you know, I've been on doing cocaine for 15 years or whatever, and um, we feel mostly unqualified to help people with this because we're not supposed to treat addiction. But what I decided to do was apply some of the same work that I do to, you know, addiction to help people change their inner beliefs and their identity and to change the triggers and things like that. The success was just amazing. I I was stunned that, you know, just with trial and error that I was having amazing success with people who had failed and failed and failed at, you know, rehabs and all the attempts to quit, um, and it was working. What is the real stopper for people getting help, especially with heroin? Well, the, the problem, and I will preface this with anyone who has used, like, AA or 12-step and they have that clean or sober, congratulations, that's awesome. And other people who are devout 12-steppers are not going to like what I have to say but in my experience, the reason that people are relapsing is because it is a horribly flawed program, the 12-step program, to make you feel and admit that you're powerless over your drug or alcohol addiction, that relapse is part of recovery, that you are always an addict and you are always susceptible. Is That is the most disempowering message you can give anyone. Like, as a hypnotherapist, someone who comes into my office to quit biting their nails, if I said... You're powerless to quit biting your nails. You're always going to have a chance of going back to biting your nails. You're always going to be a nail biter no matter how long you're clean. It just makes no sense. Um, and the, the sadder part of the story is that my oldest son has been a heroin addict for over 10 years. He's been in and out of jail. When he was, it was probably about, oh, 13 years ago or so when he first decided to go to rehab. And at that time, I wasn't really um, specializing in addiction treatment, but he went to the first rehab. It was expensive, and it was just a joke. When, they, when he was leaving after a month, the director told all the people who were leaving in the next few days, said, 
you know, in 60 days, only one in 12 of you will still be clean and sober. Like, really? Oh, oh. man. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're going out of there expecting to fail. Then he went to one in Southern California uh, another year later that was one of the biggest ones. They have over 100 um, people who are their patients or clients or whatever. So the director knew that I was starting to do work in the addiction field, and he sat down with me and said, you know, our success rate is way less than 10%. It's probably only 5 or 6%, and we don't know what to do. We need something that's going to work better than this. So I did a presentation for their staff and such, but what was most shocking to me is they know that their success rate is that low. I wrote checks for $30,000, $35,000 to each uh, treatment center that my son went to, and they know that their success rate is just terrible. And yet they're still making the money. <laughs> Insane <laughs> amount of money, yeah. yeah. That place was over 30000 for the month, and um, you know, and they have 100 people in their program, and they just do AA meetings. So as he went to more of these um, places, and I would... You know, I go to the family night meetings and I go to the group meetings and stuff. I was stunned at what I was seeing. And what I learned is that the method they're using, which is this AA, it is over 80 years old. It was created 80 years ago when there was nothing else available, but there was no science of how the brain works. There was no knowledge of how our subconscious works or how triggers work or neural pathways or how we program the body to have a different reaction to, you know, thoughts and experiences. And yet we're still using something that we know doesn't work and has no foundation in science or proof or efficacy. So that's what I started seeing. And I, you know, I had to sit there very quietly and just (laughs) keep my mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. But it's the opposite of what you have to do to get clean and sober. The opposite. Right, what they're doing in 12 steps is the opposite of what the brain needs in order to quit drinking or doing drugs. So how do we uh, so how do we work with our brain? How does the brain work when it comes to addiction or not work when it comes to addiction? Well, there's there's a lot of components to it. So I think that my success with addicts has been because I started to understand that first of all, you have to have something in you like a belief in your brain that says you can do this and you've already done it. So we take you into the future in the in hypnosis and you experience yourself in the future in six months, in a year, in two years, in five years. And in each of those points in this imaginary future, we're also cementing a belief that you haven't, you haven't had a drink in, you know, five years and your life has been so good and you're so happy you wouldn't trade this feeling for anything. And, and then I have three words that we anchor that are strong, healthy, and in control. And each of those words has a really massive part of the belief um, that is anchored into their subconscious and in their body and their physiology. So now they come back to this present moment and they have created an imaginary memory in their brain, but the brain holds that memory as true and as if it's already happened. Because, you know, the brain you know it hasn't really happened, but your brain creates the memory and stores it in exactly the same way as a memory of what you had for lunch yesterday. That's one of the things that's creating the belief that it's already happened. Then we want to get your 
your experiences in the world to connect to that belief as often as you can. So I create triggers, for instance, if it was for alcohol, that every time you see alcohol or a liquor store or you see someone else drinking or you smell alcohol, your inner mind is going to go to that absolute knowledge that you love being strong and healthy and in control and you feel stronger, happier, and you know you've got this. It's no problem. You just love your healthy life. <laughs> and, and isn't it interesting that you're, I'm, I'm learning more and more about subconscious as the more interviews like this I do, <laughs> I'm starting to feel like uh-huh. I'm getting a degree out of this. But um, what I'm learning is that your subconscious cannot tell the, between what is, has actually happened and what is a projection of what you'd like to have happen. Is that true? It is true. I mean, consciously we know, but once you create that memory in hypnosis especially, you have involved the mind, the brain, the body, the inner physiology. You're even affecting your genes and the genetic expression of your genes when you create these um, memories. But you're also, you're, you're affecting the neural pathways. So a person who's an addict whenever they see a liquor store or they see someone else having a drink, their neural pathways are going to the cravings and the need and the desperation and and they just have to have that alcohol. But when we guide these neural pathways to grow to this new memory that you just talked about, we make those neural pathways have such a massive like connection to the future memories, those memories that aren't real, but the mind thinks they're real, and we get a totally different response. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I wanted to ask you, too, about your son. Here you are, professional hypnotherapist. This is what you do. Your son has an addiction, but you can't solve it unless he wants it solved. Did you you have a conflict about that? Exactly, yeah, because, you know, who wants their mom, really, you know? Right, right. (laughs) especially since I've been the bad guy, you know, with all of his addiction stuff, you know, kids who are heroin addicts steal from their family and from everyone, and it becomes just a battlefield. So, you know, there's no way I can help him. But, um, you know, some of the things that are kind of hard for him, at one of the treatment centers he was at, I did a group session with um, about 20 or 25 of their members. And... Everybody was talking about what Wendy did, and, you know, poor Sean, he's uh, like, oh, God, quit talking about my mom, you know, and, and everybody's saying, wow, that was amazing what I experienced, blah, 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 you know, so I don't know if it creates more conflict for him, um, you know, and I'm in touch with him now all the time, but, you know, it's heroin's tough. It's not just in your state. It's tough for everybody. Yeah. But the gift that he's given me is I really know it intimately and personally, and I understand it. He's very intelligent. He tells me everything about it and what it's like. He's very honest with me about it. I've learned a lot. Yeah, and it's not so black and white. You know, it's like everybody say, oh, just lock them up. And maybe that's not the answer. It almost seems like we need to start sooner of finding what is it that's missing in our children that they are reaching to anesthetize themselves from what they're feeling. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, Sean started on partying on Vicodin, which is what the kids do. And um, then it 
has to escalate because with opiates, you have to increase the dosage just to feel normal. So once it takes about a week or two to get addicted, and then you have to increase and increase. And then when Sean went to a sober living house at one point was when he learned to shoot up. And he, he swore he would never do that. But, you know, at the sober living house, one of the girls there showed him how to do it, and yeah. that's the ultimate high. And then you still have to keep ramping up your dosage. And then, you know, for parents out there, the problem is not that your child does not want to quit. It's that the withdrawals are so severe and so painful, and it goes for about 10 days, and it is apparently the worst, most painful thing you've ever been through. So that's why people just have a really tough time quitting. And once they are clean, if they go through detox, the memories in their brain of what amazing high this is and how good it makes them feel brings them right back to it because they haven't changed their beliefs, they haven't changed their identity, they haven't changed the triggers, and that's what we can do with the hypnotherapy. I'd like to talk to you, too, about post-traumatic stress disorder. I know that you've been doing a lot of work in that arena. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, you know, um, interesting for me, I had a situation where I got post-traumatic stress, and I before that I had never experienced it, but I was living on the ocean in California, and I was out swimming, and um, the waves just kept beating me down, and no one could hear me scream in between the waves, and I, I was underwater, and I did, w- said, wow, I didn't know how, this was how I was going to die, and I decided to just let my body be limp and told myself, you don't need to breathe. You can just be at peace. So anyway, I did get someone to come out and rescue me. Um, Obviously, I didn't die. So, but the point is, <laughs> Otherwise, this would be morning, an even even more interesting show if you didn't, right? How do I do that? The next morning, I was in the shower, and as soon as the water hit my face, my whole body went limp. And I slumped down onto the floor of the shower, and I sat there, and I couldn't move. And that post-traumatic stress from that event, and it lasted for weeks until I worked on it on myself. But I had no idea how it just takes over all of your thought process. And I felt like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. So with with hypnosis with PTSD, and a lot of hypnotherapists do work with that, what you're wanting to do is you have to go back into the memory, but from a disassociated um, viewpoint. So someone would go back to one of the traumatic incidences and that one may also represent the emotions of a lot of the others and the experiences and trauma. But you have them view it from a different um, vantage point in their mind, and you have them release the trapped emotion, the trapped fear, the trauma. Um, this Pert is a scientist who wrote a book called Molecules of Emotion, and she discovered how these emotions, traumatic and negative emotions, get trapped inside of your brain in a memory, and they can't get out because they don't have words to, um, to kind of convert them to a logical memory. And so these are the molecules of emotions that get released from those memories. And decades later, still happening because that memory doesn't have a way to release or resolve the experience. So I think that the hypnosis works really well for it because we go and look at that memory not re-experiencing, but observing it, and then that allows it to change to a logical memory that has 
words that can process it and release it. What Canvas Pert discovered was that after you do that, it no longer releases those chemicals that she calls the molecules of emotion. Isn't that fascinating? That is really amazing. There's so much that's going on right now. Now, what about connecting the mind and the body with a memory? Because a lot of times with post-traumatic stress disorder, my understanding is that sometimes it's a, a physical trauma that happens. Is there something that happens within hypnotherapy that kind of partners all of that together? Oh, for sure. You know, and when people talk about, you know, uh, the mind or body, you know, it isn't separate. We, Our entire being is just one unit that's all working magically together. So it isn't that we're going to release it from the mind and then we have to release it from the body. You know, the experience you have in your body from PTSD is because the mind is connected to every cell in your body and everything's being affected. Um, you know, just like when you get a rush of dopamine from something, you feel it all over your body. You feel it instantly all the way through your body and every cell is communicating. Um, so it's not one or the other. So it releases the physical aspect of the trauma. Um, a good example is um, phantom, phantom pain that people get if they've had an amputation. Yes. When... When they, like one of my clients who lost a leg in a motorcycle accident, she had so much pain in the missing part of her leg. And we had to go in and like resolve that with her mind. And we had to take her into the experience of her leg and have her subconscious mind imagine that leg as being healed and getting better and restoring the image of the leg for the mind. Because the brain is trying to heal that part of the body that's missing. And it's so fascinating how you, your, your brain tries to send those healing messages to it, and the pain is the signal coming back to your brain to tell it to keep trying to heal it, right? So if that pain doesn't stop, your brain keeps just trying to hammer that part of your body with healing information. And um, so the pain goes away once the brain perceives it as being healed, it's all better. Send the message back to the brain. And I don't know that it happens exactly like I'm saying, but that yeah. is the, the way that we do it. And then the pain is gone. And it's a matter of changing the synapses in your brain of the way that they connect to a memory, right? Exactly, exactly. So, like, if it's a memory that the body has, there's no leg there. How does it have a memory? But it is because your brain still holds all of the information in your entire body, even the parts that are missing. Yeah, they're doing a fascinating study. In fact, I'll find the link. I saw the news story yesterday of someone who was a quadriplegic, and he has a, a disc that's been inserted into his brain, and he thinks about his hand moving, and his hand is able to move. The, the brain oh. is able to take that signal and put it through to a computer, and then the computer chip activates the hand. It's fascinating. And so, wow. yeah, so it's really, I'll, I'll put the link on Self Talk Radio Show on, on the website so you all can see it. But I, I found that was really amazing that um, what our thoughts can do and how powerful we really are. Uh, yeah. We just have to yeah. figure it out. And, you know, it's, as far as you have to have the willingness 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to have the willingness to change it and the belief that it can be changed. Otherwise, it's, it doesn't matter what you try to do. It's not going to work. Yeah, well, there are some people, for instance, um, a woman who had a stroke, it had been 20 years ago, so when you said the belief that it can be changed, that sometimes is very helpful, but sometimes you don't have that. So her arm, her left arm, had been completely numb and limp for 20 years from the stroke, and it has no movement and no feeling. And she even said, it has no feeling to the extent that one time when I was cooking dinner, I smelled something in the pan, something was burning, and it was my hand. And that's how non-feeling it is. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> But anyway, she had no expectation that this would work, and she was a terrible hypnotic subject because she kept opening her eyes during the session. But in that first session, when she had her eyes closed, I started stroking her hand, and I had talked about her reconnecting with the nerves that are the dormant nerves that hadn't been used and hadn't been damaged, and this connection all the way down to her hands. And she felt me touching her fingers, and then I said, and when you feel me touch this finger, go ahead and let it lift on its own, and it did. And now let this one lift. And so she opens her eyes and she's seeing her fingers move. And just in 20 minutes. Wow. You know, so we, we, we can believe that it's possible, but we don't have to, like, say, oh, okay, I can do this. Um, another woman I worked with had been in a catatonic state for three years. And she, was, um, she had not moved any part of her body except her eyelids in three years. And so I went and worked with her and... In the second session, her her tightened up fingers and legs, everything was just so tight. It all let go, and it um, the muscles are getting soft. And then she could start moving her fingers to talk to me, giving me a yes or a no. And then her eyebrows would start moving. And then she one day I walked in because I saw her for several weeks. I walked in and she actually smiled <laughs> when I came in. Wow, that's amazing! They, it was amazing, and they got her. Um, after about a month, they were able to sit her up because before that, her body was completely stiff and rigid, laying there. Are you are you doing any? Um, as I know, you've done stage shows. You've done stage stage hypnotherapy before. Stage hypnosis. I can speak, but I don't. I don't get the feeling that that's really where you want to go. I. What is your passion? Is it the post traumatic and uh, addiction? It's the addiction. Yeah. Um, because it's just such a crisis, especially, you know, with the heroin problem. So what I'm doing right now is I'm training other therapists to use this specific method of mine with their clients and with groups and go into the jails and put the program in the jails, go to treatment centers, and they have, there's a workbook that I have that each client gets and the sessions are recorded. So the person who's doing the facilitating has a, specific methodology to follow, and it's very consistent, so everybody gets the same experience. So my big goal is get enough people trained that we can get this into even some of like the court-mandated um, treatment programs, so we have something that works and has a better chance of having people not relapse. So one of the important distinctions in what I do is that we're not treating addiction. As hypnotherapists, we're doing relapse prevention. If people quit, drugs and alcohol all the time. You know, that's why the rehab industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and a bit of a scan at that, but um, that's why it is because people keep coming back and coming back. So 
So what we do is relapse prevention, and we get the person rock solid and not relapse by changing how their subconscious mind, their beliefs, their values, their identity, their triggers, their neural pathways, all this stuff, and to change all that. So that is my big focus. What I'm looking for are people who want to be part of the team to help promote this and get it into more institutions and schools and colleges um, and present it to as many places as we can. But also, if the state governments or county offices um, are looking for an innovative program that has, in my experience, it has 20 years of my success doing it, um, you know, it's, it's something that that could really help the states who say, God, our heroin addiction is out of control. Well, let's do something about it. Yeah. And how do we get more information about that? The website for that is theaddictionproject.com. And anyone who's looking for help with drug and alcohol addiction, we have the resources there. And there's like some free sessions that they can actually download and use right away. Nice. And then they can also, you know, get the program that, my trainees do, or they can bring the program to their treatment center. But anyway, the contact information is on there. Yeah, that's the place to go, theaddictionproject.com. Wendy Friesen has been my guest today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you spreading the message um, because I think it's just so helpful for people to understand and know why they're failing. It's not their fault. They've just been programmed wrong. And, you know, the programming in the 12-step and AA methods is actually causing you to relapse. Interesting. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm Sarah Spencer for Self Talk Radio Show. This program has been a production of Hall Communications, Burlington, Plattsburgh.